Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, joined as always by my friend, ah, friend, quote unquote, colleague, co-host, <laughs> compatriot, Mark Daly. But we also have a very, very special guest this evening, and we teased at this a couple of days ago on our Twitter channel. Joining us tonight is our friend, Floridian Vincenzo Landino. My friend, how are yeah, you? Welcome to the show. This is... uh. I'm so ex- I am genuinely excited to be back with you guys. It's been it was Monza last year. While. Yeah, in a while. Hey man, before yeah. we get into it, we've talked a lot, you know, uh, offline, the three of us about the, the the new F1 cars. So, out of all the 2022 cars we've seen so far, which is the best looking Ferrari, and why did you choose Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have to know, you know, it's just uh, what, one of those things that's been bugging me for a while. But <laughs> oh, am I going to have to do this show with two Ferrari fans? I mean, it is what Next it is. Question. I mean, let's be real here. I, go go, go solo, too. Hamilton. So since the last show, though, we have now seen the final car, the uh, the Alfa yeah. Romeo C42 dropped. And I got to say, I don't know what your guys thought or what you guys thought, but that is one incredibly sexy car as well. The red pops, the livery, the stylized font, that was a phenomenal looking car. And it's just one of many because so many cars look great this year. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I don't think that out of all the cars out there, some of them I like more than others. But I think in general, that uh, at least from an aesthetics point of view, the new cars just they they, they look awesome. And I, I'm hoping once we get to to Bahrain, what is it like in a, a literally in a matter of hours that they've had a week or so to sort out some of these issues that we saw in uh, Barcelona last week and they get them dialed in a little bit better because I mean they look great and I'm just hoping that by the time that you know the it gets serious that they perform as good as they look yeah definitely yeah I mean if it's got red in it it looks good to me so (laughs) (laughs) bonus points for bonus points for having red Daily, that's the funny thing too. I think a lot of our, our listeners assume that you're a Red Bull fan. And I think deep down, you're probably more partisan towards Ferrari than than anything, which is a little bit ironic because you get so much heat for being a Red Bull fan. But Vincenzo Landino, obviously a huge yep. Ferrari fan. And like you said, the last time you were on was, I think, almost immediately after you came back from Italy itself, where you, of course, enjoyed watching the final Something of the like UEFA that, yeah. championship. I did. It was yeah. glorious. It was, yeah. I still, I still just reminisce back to that last summer. So I just keep thinking about it. My heyday. Well, you know, it, it's funny because when I was talking about it with um, some of the guys at work today. It's just like, where, where are these last two years gone? I mean, you, you think that, I mean, today's uh, what the third, fourth of March. Uh, I've kind of forgotten the last week's just been a blur. It's but the fourth for me, the third for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's already past midnight <laughs> on the East Coast. <laughs> But I mean, if you think back, I mean, it's been almost two years to the day when the whole pandemic thing started and everything started uh, shutting down and it felt like the rest of 2020 just dragged. And I don't know what it is, but when we got into 2021 is like the last year was just like a blur. And I mean, at least here where we live on the West Coast of Canada, it's been a little bit of stop and start from time to time. But it's um, 
for for the like basically for the first time in two years, I, I really feel like things are getting a little bit more normal again, and that's uh, that's exciting. And uh, well, I mean, I know that Formula One is still maybe a bit of a work in progress. I mean, it's been confirmed now that uh, that that rush is going to be canceled for obvious reasons. It sounded like the the promoter was positive or maybe not positive but maybe a little optimistic that uh, this was still going to happen at some point that it was just suspended but it sounds like they took the contract and tore it up into a little you know million little pieces and so it's then the russian grand prix is not happening this year or next year i think they had a contract to like 2025 or something do you either you guys remember what it was i think yeah well remember too it it was supposed to move to saint petersburg next year this was actually gonna be the last year of sochi so we won't see saint petersburg and deservedly so but i was pretty impressed with the firm stance that liberty took right like you look yep. at the FIA and a P- they've really come under fire for their decision to allow Russian licensed drivers to continue to compete in FIA sanctioned events whereas Liberty was much more firm and they said nope this event's done and they tore up the contract and they walked away so we may never return yep. to to Russia yeah. and you know what as a Formula One fan and a fan of general human kind of human issues and and humanitarian issues I think that's probably the right move and I applaud Liberty for taking such a firm stance on that one yeah, yeah I, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say I, the the F, that FIA statement in the beginning was a little interesting. When I when I saw it, it left a uh, kind of a door open, you know, uh, for mm-hmm. Russia to possibly happen this year. And you know, the FIA being based in Europe, I felt like okay, tracks, and then kind of like allow Liberty, the American company, to be the bad guys. Which mm-hmm. again, like Mark said, deservedly so. Um, but it was interesting just to watch that kind of, you know, dynamic there. Let 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 the American company, turn, you know, like let them deal with <laughs> with uh, making that decision. And, and you exactly make such right. a great point because the FIA, in a sense, has kind of taken a, a copped out position here in the sense that hey, you know what, we're going to ban flags, we're going to ban, we're going to ban all of those kind of symbols of national identity, but Russian drivers can continue to race in FIA sanctioned events, but they've kind of left mm-hmm. it on the national racing associations to prohibit a driver. So one of the things that we learned in the last couple of days is even if Mazapan retains his seat this year, which hour by hour appears to become less and less likely, he won't be racing at Silverstone because the British Racing Association has banned Yep. Russian licensed drivers. Right. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, it's really sad, just the situation in general. And I mean, there's, there, there's plenty of, uh, you know, stories uh, developing around this one. I mean, the, the Ukrainian Federation has called for the FA to ban, uh, you know, all Russian license holders. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a t- you know for me it's a touchy subject because you know I, I I totally understand it but when you start kind of like dividing like normal people to us versus them I I, I don't really like that I mean everybody knows on the show that we're not big fans of Nikita Mazepin but that's not <laughs> to do with his nationality or anything like that it's just that you know he's a guy that's made some incredibly poor life choices both on and off the track and that's where we we've had issue with him. And, uh, I mean, we've seen so many different, uh, things Russian get canceled, uh, over the last week or so. And uh, I, I mean, I, I completely understand it, but when, 
I, I just don't know when, when it stops, but certainly, I, I mean, you can understand why, you know, the uh, Ukrainian, um, you know, authorities would want to see that uh, happen. And I mean, we, we've seen just, uh, you know, t- was it today that the, the Russian and Belarusians were going to be uh, excluded from the, the Paralympic Games that are going to start in a week or two, whenever it is. And, uh, you know, the IOC's taken it a step further, saying that the Russians, the Belarusian athletes should also be banned from all international competitions. We've seen guys like Alex Ovechkin get dumped, uh, loses um, endorsements uh, from the, the hockey equipment um, company CCM today. I mean, just there's so many different uh, different things. And I mean, I think Danny Kvyat, former Formula One driver, was even just talking about it a couple of days ago. and um, Or maybe it was even as recent as yesterday, just the, the, the fact that... Uh, he didn't want to see that extended to Russian drivers and things like that. And again, with, with, with Kvyat, I mean, I don't have anything against him. I mean, for, for him, I mean, he was a, a bit of an inconsistent and somewhat uh, unpredictable <laughs> Formula One driver. And um, I mean, although he's, he's a guy in an incredibly pr- uh, privileged uh, position in his life, it's just like, you know, wh- where do you, how, how far do these things go? But I mean, I think... The, the 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 I guess the basically what it comes down to. I mean, most people are going to have issues with the Russian leadership rather than individual Russian people themselves on you know most levels and areas of society, right? I I think I yeah. think you make some really great points, my friend, and I I think all three of us collectively agree that what's happening in <clears throat> Ukraine is a modern travesty. It's it's an absolute yeah. horror, and I'm I'm happy that in so many ways the international community is rallying rallying together to find uh, possibly, and I don't know how to say this in in a politically appropriate way, but I think the international community is finding ways to put pressure on Russia to end this military onslaught as quickly as possible. And, you know, I think this is one of the places where you and I diverge, which absolutely the Russian Grand Prix has to be canceled right away. It's done. Kudos to Liberty for making that happen so quickly and making clear that we're not Mm going to race there anytime soon. I think where the debate continues to extend is should Russian citizens be prohibited from competing in professional sporting leagues outside of Russia? Should they be, should they be banned from competing in FIA sanctioned events? We've seen FIFA stance. We've seen the IOC stance. FIA said, Hey, you know what? They're good to do it. They just can't race under a Russian flag. But I think the Mm -hmm. broader formula one community is, is rallying more that no more pressure should be put on Russia and more pressure should be put on the Russian population. Because if you see things like this taken away from them, it could create an upswell of support within Russia for the international cause, which is obviously to end, end this war. But Vincenzo, I I look to you and I ask, cause you and I haven't had a chance to talk about this. Obviously, what's happening in Ukraine, global travesty, and it trumps anything that's happening in the world of motorsport. But you made a great point when we were talking the other day that it's hard to disentangle the two because Formula One and Russia intersect in so many ways. But what is your perspective? Should a Russian driver continue (laughs) to be sanctioned to race in FIA events this year? Or is it a sensitive issue? And there's maybe, maybe there's no right or wrong answer. I think it, it, it gets to the point where uh, you know, and, and you start mentioning other athletes too, because you can't just do it to, you know, you can't do it to one set of athletes and not do it to all of them. It makes for sure. zero sense. Right. So Ovechkin losing sponsorship kind of feels wrong. Um, mm-hmm. whether you like Ovechkin or not as a, as a player, um, it feels wrong, but at the same time, that's CCM saying, well, we are not going to participate in any way shape or form putting money into that economy right whatever it means right um so you have to think you know apple shut down 
they shut down all I think operations in in Russia. Uh, Oracle, which is now relevant, right? Oracle, right. Um, right. massive Red Bull sponsor. They shut down um, or suspended, I say, operations in um, in in Russia. So things like that are going to happen, and I think tying that back to athletes. When you look at athletes, they get they have sponsorships. They have. Um, in Mazepin's case, maybe a little bit different, but let's just pretend Earl Kali was not his father and it wasn't, it was just some other oligarch that was paying him to, to drive there. You, you just can't, you can't separate the two. And so I mm-hmm. think that, I think that in order to put pressure, this is what I was going to say before, uh, because Mark had mentioned, Daly had mentioned uh, like uh, the IOC and whatnot. To see your flag, in a major international competition is a source of pride. Um, oh yeah. Right. It, it, it's, it's, that's something that you as a citizen of that country, you know, you, you, you feel like something you're a part of that. So to strip yeah. them of that is, is huge, but then to take completely remove them from competition, regardless of flag is even a step further. And I think it's the right call because of, the situation that's happening and how, I mean, like as we're talking, there's a like the largest nuclear power plant in Europe being bombed by the Russians, right? Like, yeah. it, this is huge. This is big. So, like, how do you stop that without inciting World War Three? I think that's basically what everyone that's involved and has any ties to either a Russian athlete, a Russian team, or anything in Russia. That's like that's the way they're going to handle it. And I, I, so I, I don't disagree with how they are handling that. I think it does suck for someone who is a completely innocent Russian citizen, right? Um, if they are, of course, if, if let's, cause I don't if know all their situations supporting the war. Yeah. Correct. I mean, I have yeah. no idea. Right. Yeah. Um, so if they're innocent, yeah, I feel terrible for them, but at the same time, like we all suffer consequences of somebody else's wrongdoing at some point, right? Like it, yeah, it happens. And yeah. so that's what's happening now. It's terrible. It's terrible all around. Um, and if this, if this, <laughs> let's just put it this way: if not allowing Dimitri, uh, Nikita Mazepin to drive a ra- you know a race car uh, helps keep us out of World War Three, I think anyone, everyone's going to be okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, so that's kind of where that's where I stand with it. On yeah, that note, yeah. daily, I'm I'm curious. I think based on everything we've heard today. He may not have a seat come Friday afternoon. Do you guys think yep. he races this year or or do you think he's done? And you make that point that, hey, the money that was putting him in that seat's gone, or at least it's frozen. Yep. Do you think he races this year? No, I, I don't think so. And moreover, I think that uh, the, the the question becomes, does you know, if, if he's done for this year, does he find a way back into Formula One at some point when this thing cools down and things, you know, quote unquote, goes back to normal? I mean, the most overused phrase from the last two years, right? So used in now many different <laughs> circumstances. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, once that opportunity is gone, I mean, he didn't really do anything to distinguish himself. OK, he wasn't driving the greatest car on the grid to begin with, but. I just uh, think that it's going to be too difficult. I, I don't see a way back for him after no. after it happens. I mean, I no. just think that that opportunity. And, and I will- think that's nothing to do with him being yeah. a Russian citizen. I think that has everything to do with the fact that off the track he's a PR nightmare, and yeah. there's probably ten other drivers 
somewhere on the globe right now that could outcompete him in a Formula One car. So I feel like, and it's probably going to be old news by the time people start downloading this podcast, but I don't think he'll be racing. I don't think he'll be in that well, car, car come up. We always seem to be out of sync with the news cycle. So, <laughs> so there you go. But Maybe we just need to record start- a couple of hours later. <laughs> that, that's the thing you know like we, we could get vincenzo up at like six in the morning we could get up at three in the morning here and then yeah maybe with that said that time shift uh, we might coincide a little bit better with morning on the east coast and uh i guess uh what, what i'm trying to say is maybe sacrifices need to be made with uh, our own personal sleep habits but hey guys <laughs> let's just take a quick break uh, when we come back on the flip side there's still plenty of things uh, to talk about and we'll do so in just a moment so don't go away we'll just get a quick uh, message from our sponsors Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, well, welcome back. And, well, I mean, there's still plenty of things here (laughs) regarding, you know, the Russian Grand Prix and Mazepin and things like that. I feel that, you know, we've devoted enough time to this uh, subject already. I I think we should move on to which is probably one of the uh, the, the biggest stories of the, well, obviously of this week, uh, I think, uh, of the season so far. And that is... um, reportedly that Max Verstappen is on the verge of signing a, a 40 million pounds or 55 million dollar per year contract with Red Bull that's going to keep him uh, together with Red Bull reportedly until 2028 I mean that's just massive I mean Vincenzo from like a business point of view if Max and Red Bull can uh, can you know make this thing work the, that this isn't just rumor how massive is that deal I mean, it's huge, right? It's one of the the largest deals, um, and I don't have a notes on it right now of all the athletes. But if I think about the athletes that are the highest paid, I mean, that puts him right up there with the top. We know Hamilton is yeah. reportedly around fifty five million as well, so that puts him right on par with Hamilton. Completely on track, you know, off the off the track. Hamilton probably blows him away in endorsement deals, but yeah, I mean, on track money that that. That's the highest. Um, and athlete deals in general, that puts them right up there. So um, huge for Red Bull. They're putting that money that they just got from Oracle to good use that, uh, you know, you figure it kind of coincides with the Oracle deal too, because the Oracle deal is a five-year thing. And so they're guaranteed to have $100 million a year coming in from Oracle. They're paying 50 of that out to max. They can't use. They probably can't use all of it anyway because the cap, the cost caps. So that's one way to do it. I think. Listen, they've like it or not. You know, whether you're a Red Bull fan or not, you have to 
realize that their strategy has been max since he started, right? Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? What does any team do when the star quarterback wins a Super Bowl or, you know, the star player on the pitch, um, you know, wins some sort of championship? He gets uh, paid, right? Gets paid. And so that's what's happening here. I think it's interesting because, you know, you'll hear a lot of fodder, especially on Twitter. It's only one championship. So when you compare him (laughs) to someone like a Hamilton who's won seven and he's making the same amount of money, it is kind of ridiculous. But if you look at deals in other sports each and every year, the higher deals get higher or the, the high deals get more and more costly for teams and and whatnot. So I think this is just a a matter of where we are in time and he just happens to have gotten that to a level where they want to pay him that. Um, it, I think it's going to be very difficult though for them to ever pair him with anyone. I think Paris is a great pairing for him because yeah. he fits very well. But it'll be interesting because if they're looking to who, who comes after do more Sergio like Ross, right? how, how do you well and then how do you I, I can't say i'm not gonna say they can't afford it because clearly there's money there but you know do you ever pair him with somebody that like that's that's if you're a driver coming into that second seat and you know the other guy's getting paid 55 million to be there you know yeah. your second fit you know you're like you're less than second fiddle you are just there to make that person win the championship yeah. so Mark, it's i'm gonna throw yeah. this so sorry uh, to, uh, to cut you off there, Vincenzo, but no, I, no, I just no, couldn't no. help but thinking uh, when you were talking there, like, so the, these teams, they have so much money now and we're, we're into this cost cap era with this declining uh, ceiling that they have. Clearly, these teams have money. If they can't throw it into the cars now, maybe we're going to see the driver's salaries uh, start going up. Uh, maybe that's the way that, uh, you know, they, they start spending the sponsorship money. Uh, like you say, I mean, they're getting $100 million per year from, from Oracle and 55 of that is going to max. It's almost like, uh, I wouldn't say a, 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 a free ride for, for, for them in that regard. But, uh, I mean, certainly it helps. But, Mark, w- when you heard the news from that, I, I think Vincenzo will probably want to jump back into that. I mean, either you can take this one. But uh, them reportedly signing him on a long-term deal to 2028, my, my first reaction was they want to do with Max, Red Bull that is, what Mercedes has done with Lewis for almost like the last, well, seven, eight years since, since 2014. I think they want to start building a dynasty around him. Whether or not they can pull that off is a completely different uh, question. But that, I mean, it's, it's obvious that he's their guy for the long term. I mean, that, that's, an under, that's, that's obvious. Yeah, so put this into context as well. When this deal is over, he's still only going to be 30 years old. He's only going to be 30 <laughs> years old and he'll have driven 300 Formula One Grand Prix, assuming everything goes wow. goes to goes to plan. But a couple of things, like I think our, our listeners will probably appreciate this, but I went and quickly Googled some stats because I wanted to get a sense of where this $55 million a year salary stacked up. You look at the NBA, Steph Curry's making $46 million. He's leading all of the mm-hmm. players in the NBA. James Harden, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, a couple of really bad deals there at $44 million a piece. Jump over mm-hmm. Major League Baseball. Max Scherzer's making $43 million. Mike Trout's making thirty-seven. And then in the NFL, obviously, it's super top-heavy because they have the worst players union in 
the worst collective bargaining agreement in all of global sports. But Patrick Mahomes makes $45 million. Josh Allen's 43. Dak Prescott with the Cowboys at 40. Um, and Deshaun Watson makes 39. So he eclipses what any individual, wow. any team athlete would make in the United States. And of course, when you start factoring in endorsements and things, but when you look at strictly their salary, he's out earning anyone playing for a, a major professional sports team in America. And of course, I didn't look at the NHL because their cost cap's pretty prohibitive. But, you know, Vincenzo makes a really great point, which is, you know, you flash back five years, you're pumping in $100 million from Oracle. All of that money is yeah. going into your car. It's all going to your team. But if your cost cap's $140 million now, and obviously drivers are excluded for now, and your top three executives are excluded for now, where else do you put that money? Like you put it to the yeah. bottom line, which I'm sure some teams would be happy to do. But it also opens up the question of a driver salary cap, which is something that's been bandied about. But I'll be very honest. If anyone is getting the money in the sport, I'm very happy, unlike... Roman Grosjean, who made some comments today suggesting that nobody deserves 40 million, no driver deserves $40 million. I would be very happy to see the drivers earn this money because they're the ones going out on track every single weekend and risking everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Vincenzo. No, I was going to add that. I think you also have, if, if, you know, to your point daily, if there's more money now in the sport, from sponsors and it can be spent on drivers do teams get a little more discerning with who's in their seats like does it does it get you know are you going to throw a lot of money at a driver like i'm just going to use you know a mazepin or a sonoda or a like are you going to throw money at someone like that versus maybe waiting or like getting top you know top tier guys guys that have actually won at lower levels maybe one consistently um, like our, our pay drivers necessarily needed, right? Like if a team That's like Haas, if a team like Haas had money coming in, do they need a sponsor like Earl Kali to say, we want this driver? I mean, we heard there a bunch of stories there about that. So like, mm-hmm. do they need to, I don't, I don't know. Maybe not. That, that's a great awesome point, point because, you awesome know, nowadays point. with with all this money like flowing in that we saw with Oracle a couple of weeks ago and then, then Bybit throwing in what was like mm-hmm. another 150. Another 100. Yeah. That, 100 million, right? So, I mean, you got almost half a billion dollars in sponsorship mm-hmm. coming in for us from these two companies alone over the next uh, couple of years. And you've got like a, you know, a finite amount that you can put into the car. All of a sudden, the guy that comes with like a massive sponsorship deal or the, uh, the, the, the one sponsor that says, yeah, I'm willing to give you X number of dollars for the right. next couple of years or whatever. Now, maybe you kind of, you, you can be a little bit more choosy with it. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? Um, we don't actually think we need to, you know, we, we've gotten all this, you know, money. Awesome we, point. We, we can maybe awesome put point. You know, the, the guy that we really want in that second car. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's kind of maybe um, maybe that was part of uh, the, the the reason for the whole cost cap, just from preventing it like getting ridiculously yeah. more out of hand. But uh, this could be an interesting byproduct of that, for sure. I, yeah, I'll, I can. Man, I'm a loss for words here because I agree with this point <laughs> so much. Right, like. If if the teams can only drive $140 million in the development of the car and they're all earning more than that in sponsorship and in prize money, you know what? 
what's the relevance now of a pay driver as well? To your point, like they can be more discerning, like, hey, you're bringing $30 million as a pay driver. We don't really need that money because we've already covered the cost of car development. We'd rather just have a better driver. And maybe in the future, we don't see any Nikita Mazepan because that's such a great point. The teams can be more discerning because, hey, we've covered the cost of construction and development. We just want to put the best possible driver in this car so we have a chance to compete for a constructors championship. But yeah, wicked point, man. You know, I love all these uh, different articles that popped up on different uh, news sites like autosport.com and stuff like that over the last day or so. Like, I, I know that this is still reported and it's yet to be confirmed until this podcast gets uh, published, of course, then it'll be a done <laughs> deal. But I, I love all these pictures that they have. It's like they picked all the pictures of Max Verstappen looking his grumpiest. I mean, I know he doesn't smile a lot, but you would have thought that somewhere in that stock imagery, they would have at least been able to find a picture that would be somewhat fitting of a guy that uh, yeah. is just living. <laughs> Literally signed a contract worth of a, a fortune, right? But uh, it's kind of uh, interesting. Hey guys, let's let's talk now about uh, the, uh, the 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 cars themselves. I mean, we uh, saw a lot of interesting things in Barcelona last week, including the creation of a brand new term when it comes to Formula One cars, porpoising. I mean, <laughs> that was kind of interesting. But I mean, obviously there were some unexpected things happening when they uh, took the cars out and got them on the track for the first time. Um, you know, so that. That's going to have to be resolved, and we'll see that uh, how that goes in Bahrain here pretty quick. But um, Max Verstappen uh, says he's he's pretty happy with the new RB18, and he says it won't be the the same car that he's going to be driving in uh, Bahrain uh, next week, and he expects it to be completely uh, different. So I don't know what uh, what obviously he knows something that we don't, but I mean based on what we saw last week. A lot of teams have a lot of work to do because a lot of them didn't really get to wind it up and really hit that top end, like that that upper limit that we were really hoping to see. Yeah, I, I think what we're going to see when we get to Bahrain is fundamentally different cars, right? Like we and I especially was notoriously loud and angry about the fact that Barcelona became a shakedown when we were all expecting a traditional kind of preseason winter testing session where the cars were really putting the cars through their paces. But I think what we're going to see are fundamentally different cars. And I think some of these teams, not so much Haas necessarily, but some of these teams like Red Bull and Mercedes and Aston Martin managed to put in a really significant number of laps. And the reason that's important is because they can accumulate data and try to understand whether their design decisions and the conclusions that they came to when it came to engineering these new cars based on the current set of technical regulations, whether it worked, whether they they got the outcome they expected. So I think some of the teams probably already had some suspicions about what the outcome was going to be. And they probably had new parts and aero designs in, in the shop. And I think other teams probably came and discovered that there were some really unfortunate outcomes based on the design language and some of the decisions that they made when they were designing these cars. So I think when we get to Bahrain, we're going to see very, very different cars. And to be fair, even during the three days that we were in Barcelona, the cars were rapidly transforming in front of our eyes. You'd see the Merc would go out and it would have no vents. And then the Merc would go out again and it's got vents. And then the Merc would go out again. And now it has even more vents. Like the cars were transforming before our eyes. And I think if we learned anything from that, that shakedown, it was really just that they needed three days of shakedown. Like these cars are so raw and it's such an unknown dimension and element to these teams that if they were to have just shown up at a preseason winter testing session, they would have been in quite a state and the times would have looked terrible and there would have been a lot of red flags and there would have been a lot of delays. So they earned, they deserve those three days, but I'll be very curious as to what we're going to see in Bahrain next week. 
Well, yeah. as Max said, it was a uh, an early iteration, which seems kind of a, a funny way to put it, considering these cars have been <laughs> in development basically for what over two years now. I yeah. mean, they they got pushed back a year, and it, it seems kind of funny considering they they I wouldn't say a bonus year, but they had an extra year to to, to get these cars uh, designed and built and everything. And we get to the to the track, and they they behave so different than they did in the wind tunnel and the sim and everything like that. But uh, he he did say he was really happy with the balance of the car and uh and you know despite uh, he was uh, over half a second off of uh, lewis's uh, fastest uh, time at uh, at barcelona there but uh, the, this this next story i thought was uh, kind of interesting that uh, some of the uh, updates that we're going to see are not in the spirit of the uh, the, the rules which uh, i think is a uh, kind of uh, uh, interesting and i'm just going to pull it up in my notes here exactly where it was but um well, it was okay. So it was, oh, it was from Ted Kravitz from uh, Sky Sports saying that uh, there was going to be some uh, controversies with who had interpreted the, the rules in a way that wasn't intended by the FAA. So there might be some uh, controversies over flexi floors and different ideas and things like that. So, you know, that, that uh, you know, th- that, that I do find a little bit interesting because I thought uh, that there was going to be less latitude this year and the, the, the way that the regs were going, that they were going to try and tighten up any of these uh, these loopholes. But I don't know, does that mean that uh, perhaps the, the, the way that these uh, the new regs are maybe aren't quite as airtight as they thought they were? I mean, except maybe with things like flexi wings and some of the more controversial things that we've seen over the last, say, season, season and a half or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, reading Adrian Newey's book somewhat recently, How to Build a Car, it's it's interesting because he, not interesting, it is interesting, I guess, but he makes it very clear that his one job is to do everything that he can that the rules don't say you can't do, basically. <laughs> so it's like... And I'm sure he's not the only designer doing this, right? So when you're looking at building a car, yeah. when you're looking at, at any iterations, it's the rules don't say we can't do it. So we're going to do that. And it's kind of crazy how much, how, you know, different the interpretations are based on the teams and, you know, who went with wide bodied cars, who went with a narrow, you know, a narrower uh, car, who went with vents, who's going with no vents. The side pods were all different. I mean, there's like so many different things and it, you know, I get we were talking a little bit about Max. It's like these guys haven't been able to drive the car. That was the first time they sat in the car and, and took yep. it out on the track. Yep. So yep. um it is really fascinating that the team's design and they fit figure things out and they put it in a wind tunnel and they put it on every testing piece of equipment they can and they design a car that they think is going to be fast, right? Uh, then you get to the track and the track gives you different feedback than the wind tunnel ever could, hence the porpoising issue. Yep. And, and, and drivers are out there for the first time. You're simulating wet conditions. You're just trying to, like, is the car even reliable? I think that's what we learned more than anything with how reliable these vehicles were. But the next month is going to be all about how, how can we get the most power out of it? How can we get the best air? You know, what's the best arrow setup um, for different conditions? And so it is, it's pretty crazy to think of what these teams are doing in just four weeks from the time they did the shakedown to the time we're going to see the cars again in Bahrain. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's like I, to me, I'm always in awe of that because it's like there's it is there's no time to dilly dally. It's like we got to get right to it. We've only got four weeks to get this car in, in as fast as we can, um, and so that to me was was really the the most fun to watch um, mm-hmm. with this whole shakedown thing. Like all the content we were getting was just like, and like you said, you know, all the they're making changes every time the car goes out. It's there's something different happening. Um, so t- to that extent, like I think that you know. It is pretty cool um, to have the shakedown. I wish they just let us. I wish they Watch broadcasted it. it but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. For for me, it's going to be interesting too, where that equilibrium sets in. It's just like for for everybody that kind of was working through a deficit or some sort of issue that was unexpected. When we, we get to the, the the proper test and then to the the, the first Grand Prix, like wh- where is the equilibrium? Is Mercedes going to be on the same level as uh, Red Bull and vice versa? Are they further behind somebody else? And uh, because we all know over the course of the season that the same car that gets to the start line of the very first race is going to be incrementally quicker, getting quicker over the course of the season as that same car when it crosses the finish line in Abu Dhabi in December. It's just like, how do they improve versus everybody else? And, you know, it kind of goes up and down and back and forth uh, throughout the season. But that's going to be, I I think all the eyes are going to be looking at the track there in Bahrain, especially when we get to, I mean, obviously testing is going to be interesting, but I mean, it's just going to be, I wouldn't say more of the same of what we saw last week in Barcelona, but it's it'll really be well the first obvious true test is when we get to qualifying for the 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 first race of the year and then we'll know okay well well at least in that uh in the qualifying race of course full race distance is a different uh, different question but uh that's it there's just too many ifs and whys and hows and what ifs at, at the moment and uh like you vincenzo i'm just in awe that uh, you can take a car to the track and they can discover this issue that nobody had foreseen or expected. They can go away for a couple of weeks and, you know, these really brilliant people can come up with solutions and fixes for them. And then these equally brilliant, very technical people can manufacture these parts and put them onto the cars and the drivers can get back in. And then, well, obviously they hope that they'll figure that problem and solve it. But uh, I know, anyways. I know I'm jumping ahead a couple of stories here and I definitely don't yeah, want to no skip the next one because it's super juicy, but just while we're on the topic of the 2022 cars and we're kind of reflecting back <clears throat> on Barcelona, what were a couple of the things that surprised you or really intrigued you or or were maybe a little bit un- unexpected? I, I think for me, just a couple of thoughts, just while we're on the kind of the conversation topic of the 2022 cars, one, the cars looked immensely better than I ever expected. Yeah. And I know we've been talking about this. I think another thing that surprised me is I was so paranoid that we were going to enter into this era of spec cars and all the cars were going to look absolutely the same. And the variation in, in design was dramatically different than I expected, which I thought was really, really, really exciting, whether it was the side pods or the height of the front wing or the way the elements on the front wing were attached to the car. Uh, It was incredibly, incredibly different. And then also the cars are just significantly faster than I ever expected them to be at a shakedown. They had no business being this fast based on everything Mm -hmm. that we've been told and led to believe over the course of the last 12 to 18 months. But for the two of you, you know, having you know, we got three days at Barcelona. We saw a ton of laps. We saw these cars pounding around that track. What were your takeaways, your thoughts, the surprises that maybe you had? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Vincenzo, why don't you take this one first? Sure. Um, Ferrari was super reliable. Loved how many how many laps they got in. Both drivers. I think it, what really was like, I don't want to say, I don't know if it was eye-opening, but the, both Sainz and Leclerc ran very similar amount of laps as opposed to a lot of the other drivers. I, now, I actually, don't quote me on that. Maybe Hamilton or someone else can pull that up and correct me if I'm wrong. But they ran very similar amount of laps, um, which I, you know I think is is good. And especially with how close they were last year, I think it's it's nice to see that they're pretty level with who who the team is focusing on. Um, you know, you saw with some of the other teams where it's like one of the driver ran maybe seven or eight times the amount of laps as is you know as the the other one. So that was it was interesting just to see that. Um, some of the teams I felt like had such issues. Alpine was one. Um, yeah. Haas, Haas wasn't surprising, but I mean, they like, they had rely- all, all sorts of reliability. Like, they couldn't even like, it was like they couldn't even get going. Um, I, I think McLaren showed really, really good reliability and pace. Um, not, I, I, not shocked, but I think as a Ferrari fan, I kind of thought, okay, McLaren probably lost it at the end of last year and they're probably going to carry that into to this year. They're looking pretty solid and both uh, Danny Rick and Lando were both running really well. So that's, you know, like that's a positive for that team. Um, yeah, I, I'm still curious to see how, you know, guy like a driver like Bottas does, um, uh, you know, in, in Alfa Romeo, like are him and, and, uh, um, uh, zoo zoo is it is it zoo 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 yeah guan yu zoo i i i didn't know how to say it it'll be curious to see how they can kind of like pair together and, and like does botas is he gonna take it you know step it up or or does he was he always just a second driver like um that'll be interesting but yeah the the, the cars themselves i think were uh were, were all pretty from my perspective i thought it was all chalk what is it like you know in when march madness where you every it's chalk like the favorites were the favorites the way i looked at it yeah. and uh the team's kind of towards the bottom um so i'd say the, the the more surprising things were were like the alpine that was probably alpine aston martin it wasn't also wasn't as good um as i thought they would be um but that's what surprised me yeah, well, I, I think for me, I, let's say that uh, Ferrari made headlines for the right reasons. I mean, uh, over the last couple of years, I mean, they made um, headlines for not the right reasons. And I mean, they've been pretty upfront about it, too, saying, you know what, we, we're not targeting championships or wins this season. We're looking down the road a year or two. So I, I think that, you know, what we saw at Barcelona, although obviously it's very early days, it, I think for the Tifosi, it was, um, you know, a glimmer of hope. 
that you know that said that they had good pace, they had good reliability, they weren't uh, miles off. Uh, you know the the, you know, the 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 big dogs, right? But your your point about Alpine is very well taken as well, and I think that. You know, if you're Otmar Sapnow, you're probably standing there. Oh my gosh, what did I get into? Because I could just uh, see him walking into that garage, and there's a lot of people standing there, with big nervous smiles on their faces. And after we saw that, there was probably uh, a lot more nervous-looking smiles and laughter. And they obviously have a lot of work um, cut out uh, for them. McLaren, like you say, very strong showing, and I'm still impressed with the job that they've done over the last couple of years. I mean, this was a team I, I seriously thought was unlikely support like four or five years ago that uh, that if they didn't get it uh, turned around that I, I really thought that it was going to end really really badly for them and I, I don't know what to make of uh, Williams just yet. I, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, Mark and I've talked about in the last couple of weeks under the new ownership and you know the the, the language and just the, the the culture that seems to be growing in that team is that, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with what with what the Williams family was doing and what they did. I mean, obviously they won races, they won championships, and they did it for like forty something years, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's they formula one kind of outgrew them a little bit i think and then when you hear like some of the like like the 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 comments coming out of the team that you know we're we're no longer a family run team you know it's like the new owners i think are are, are pretty aware of the fact that you know we're, we're in, in in the big leagues and we got to you know we, we got to step our game up you know whether or not that translates to you know better performance on the track who knows right i was gonna, uh, if i could just jump in real quick yeah, i think that so there's there's been a lot of conversation I've had with some uh, with folks in you know who what company or what entity would come could come into the sport and and pick up like be it an eleventh team or a twelfth team who can actually be a uh, you know start a team and the biggest thing is okay there's a lot of companies that have money there's a lot of companies that could throw money at this and maybe do well. But we we kind of collectively came to the agreement that you need leadership that's passionate about it, sure. Or you need you need yeah. somebody that's and so whether the Williams family lost the passion or whatever it was, I mean, obviously you know they they got older, things like that. You know, Frank um, passed away, rest in peace. That too. Um, but I think like you have to like there has to be that level of passion that. Like, you don't do this because you, you're trying to get rich. I mean, although that's probably a great, a great, uh, you know, something that happens from it, a byproduct, right? But I don't think that's what you do it for. And so it'd be, it'll be interesting to see what, what that team does. Like, there's another team that, you know, F1 has to always uh, like protect at all costs from here on out. Um, just like McLaren, you know, there's, there's those teams where you just, you never want to lose them from the sport. And, Williams Williams will be interesting to watch. But Doralton, I don't know. I don't know enough about them to to like comment on it. But um I think coming into a sport like Formula One and trying to run it like a business is you know, this isn't moneyball here, right? This isn't like the <laughs> Oakland Athletics or anything. It's yeah. It, it, it's a sport that needs that passion. Yeah, well Mark, we we we've talked about it too. Like um just the fact that uh, when we heard that uh, Williams was being taken over by a bunch of venture capitalists, we didn't really think that like that story was going to end well. But now we're we're kind of wondering. Well, we we can see one of two scenarios that uh, that they've they they've 
figure that they've hit on something that uh, that they can build up themselves or they're building up and making it attractive to, you know, say the VW group or somebody else yeah. to come in and take it over and then rebrand it as uh, as Audi or Porsche or whatever, right? Or per- perhaps uh, something else. But I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I was just going to say that uh, I always found it astounding, especially I think it was in the very first season of uh, Drive to Survive. They had one episode with Williams and they had like uh, they showed uh, I, I think it was like one that's sort of like a big sort of team meeting and there was like like this auditorium filled with like hundreds of people in there and Claire Williams is up there on this uh, on the podium talking about like whatever and I'm like literally looking at this this auditorium filled with with, with obviously very qualified and smart people and I'm just like looking all the, that talent there i'm just like why the hell are you guys like at the back of the grid several seconds off off the pace i mean it, it just it, it seems almost inconceivable to me that uh w- with that amount of brain power in house that they would be struggling so much but so uh, humble flex on that note by the way i've been okay, to that auditorium yeah. so i know no, exactly like the one you're speaking like- of but but I think that, you, I think course. you summed it up perfectly just on the topic of Williams, that formula one outgrew Williams, right? Like Williams was yeah. a family mm. run small business and it adapted and it grew and it experienced some periods of tremendous success, but it simply couldn't keep up financially with the rest of the sport. And I feared when Dalton came in that they were going to strip it down. They were going to strip yeah. it down, sell off the assets and move on. And rather they've invested it. Now I I've had it on pretty good authority from a couple of people now that, well, not, I shouldn't say a couple of people but one very specific source that Dalton is a front and Dalton is a financial Mm. front for another buyer. And that Mm. other buyer doesn't want to reveal themselves at this time. And for the longest time, I assumed that that was a person until somebody had made the assumption or the guess that, Hey, maybe that person, that group is the V the Volkswagen group, right? That, Hey, Mm -hmm. Dalton, we're going to fund this. You're going to be our front buy the team, clean it up, start investing in the infrastructure. And if we choose to enter the sport, we've got a team ready to go either by a complete buyout or by injecting yeah. our power units into that team. And hmm. it's interesting because we've seen Williams now, they've invested in the factory, they've invested in their people. They've been going on a hiring spree. They bought in top quality people. Yas Capito came over from the Volkswagen group. He ran their motorsport division very successfully for many, many years that ultimately this is a team as well that is now starting to show a lot of independence from Mercedes, right? That as a satellite team of Mercedes, in a sense, a customer team of their power unit, there was this expectation last year that Nick DeVries was going to be driving a Williams this year. That didn't happen. As much as that upset and frustrated Toto, Alex Albon from the that evil empire from Red Bull is driving that car. So maybe this team is starting to flex a little bit of their own independence because they anticipate that either, hey, there's a future buyer coming in or we're going to partner mm-hmm. with the Volkswagen group in the future. But I think they're in a much better place than they were. Um, absolutely love the Williams family. I just think to your point, Mark, F1 had outgrown the Williams family and their financial yeah. means. Yeah, totally. And I, I love the, the the move that they made to uh, do the unexpected thing and uh, and bring Alex Albon in from from Red Bull. Yeah, me I too. mean, I don't think that anybody really saw that. I mean, we, we got a question about that. Uh, maybe well, why don't we just uh, a- answer it right now since we're on the topic? And this is from at Ray and SD. And uh, his question is, uh, where do we see the duo of Albon and Latifi finishing the season? Can they challenge uh, the Alpha Tauri boys? 
you know, th th that's a great question, right? And I, I think that both of these guys have something to prove. I mean, we love Nikki because Nikki's a Canadian and, you know, for, you know, a couple of reasons. But I mean, he's been in Formula One for a couple of years, albeit in a car that hasn't been the, the, the greatest. But, you know, I, I don't see too many more trips around the block before for, for Nikki before I kind of see maybe his time in, in, in Formula One, um, you know, maybe coming to an end. And, and Albon, I mean sort of kind of maybe not that dramatic but i mean he's had a couple of kicks at the can here as well and hasn't uh, really been able to, to 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 make it work just yet so i think these are two guys that really have something to prove but i i guess the you know the uh, the you know the, the big question is are they going to have the the car underneath them to, to to get it done and if so you know do they have what it takes between their ears you know that that mental fortitude to, to get it done themselves so i mean there's certainly a team to watch this year both of those guys and you know just the, the whole situation i don't know what uh what, what you think vincenzo, vincenzo Mark? I, I don't yeah. know if you agree with my take but i i think if we look at everything equally um mm -hmm. nicholas latifi has to be a favorite to win the driver's title in 2022 i just i think that's just a logical outcome based on all the data <laughs> that's available to us so for me i think nicholas will be competing for a world driver minimal championship. data at the moment right and, <laughs> and Alexander Albon will probably be a really good wingman. Vincenzo, what are your thoughts? You know, you're you're a little less biased because you live in the United States, but your take on how they'll compete this year. I think Albon's a good driver. I like I like Alex Albon. Uh I think you know, just the way he reacted to Max winning that championship, jumping on the radio at the end of the the that lap and the excitement. I mean the I think the kid is, is he, he's gone through his ups and downs, right? Um, he was submitted to Red Bull, which I think just, that takes a lot out of anybody is going to take a lot out of anyone that, that it could actually, you know, kill your desire for the sport. Like I, I think potentially happened with Daniel Ricardo. Um, I think this this might reinvigorate him. I just don't think they're going to have the car. Uh, Latifi, I want. I'd Watch love to see how he right now. Watch what I, you say. I would. I think Latifi to to Daly's point, he doesn't have that many more opportunities to prove that he you know deserves a spot in in F one. I would like to see how he responds to all the criticism he got. Which he said time and time again in the offseason how it affected him. I mean, rightfully so. He was getting death threats for Christ's sakes. Like terrible, awful. People are just garbage sometimes. Yeah. Um, he didn't deserve that. But I want to see like how does he bounce back from it? If he bounces back and he is driving with a vengeance and he can, you know, put that to good use, that energy to then I think he's gonna have a good season and and they you know. Both drivers will, um, but if you know if something like that affects you, and again, I don't know the mental state of 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 him personally. I don't know the man, um, so if if that affects him, I think that could kind of throw throw things off. But I don't know. Finish ahead of Alfatari, huh? That's that was the original thought. Yeah. Um, I don't know because I want to. I don't know how that. I don't know how that car is going to be this year either. So that's a, that'll be an interesting battle to watch. Um, yeah, because they've become gonna, a pretty solid middle of the pack team last couple of years. Gasly, another Red Bull, you know, cast off Max. I want to say Max Verstappen, number two, um, 
casualty over there. I mean, he's been driving really, really well. So he's got yeah. a lot to prove because he's likely gunning for a, a top spot somewhere else um, as well. But I mean, Alpha, I don't know. Alpha Tauri to me seems like the stronger duo right now. Sonoda had a pretty decent season. I mean, he had his ups and downs to, he's a rookie. Um, there were times where he showed per, some pretty good pace and there were times where he was kind of like knuckleheaded driving, but uh, who doesn't? And I, I'm going to say, I still think Alpha Tauri comes out ahead between those two. Um, but I think Williams has a really good shot at getting out of the bottom three. Let's put it that way. Alpha Tauri's fate is, and I'll make this quick daily. Um, Alpha Tauri's fate is going to be very closely linked to Red Bull and, and bear with me on this thought. Mm. One, every transferable part they can buy from Red Bull, they do. They <laughs> share the same spectacular Honda power unit as the Red Bull team. And you have to assume either because of backroom dealings or just subtle communications that there's a lot of knowledge transfer going back and forth. And the teams don't have as much creative license when it comes to designing this car. So I would assume that the delta between these two teams would be tighter than last year. So for that reason, I, I got to give, especially if Yuki can show some strides this year and he demonstrated mm-hmm. last year, he can be fast. I think I would give the the edge to, I would absolutely give the edge to Alpha Tauri in the Constructors Championship by, by the end of the year. Yeah. I got one more question for you, but I'm, I'm going to throw it to a break here and then I'll, I'll ask you as soon as we come back. Um, just uh, going back to Pierre Gasly and um, I'll, I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. So anyways, we'll take a quick break for a quick message from our sponsor. So don't go away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the show, everybody. And just a quick question. Either of you guys can answer this one. I can't remember now if Gasly is one of the guys that is out of contract or his contract expires at the at the end of this year. I think he is. And I'm just um, curious to get to either of you, well, one or both of your takes on, on this one. Gasly, I think if he has a good season, and you know, I think he's had a, obviously a, a pretty good last 12 to 18, 24 months. I think he's uh, been pretty good, uh, pretty solid on his uh, return to, to Alpha Tauri, or Toro Rosso maybe even was uh, before when <laughs> with all the revolving doors within Red Bull there. I think if he has, I think he's going to be trying to like shop himself uh, this year. Well, with all the the opportunities that uh, that are going to come up uh, within the paddock uh, this year, I think that uh, that he would do well if he was able to move on to another team. I think he would see more su- success if he gets out of that Red Bull system. What do you guys think? A hundred percent. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that getting out of that system, which is a clearly a one driver of four um priority you know they prioritize one driver of the four uh that definitely screws with you um when (laughs) i don't know what the average life life career of a um f1 driver is but it's not very long right so you've got to maximize the fact that he's got enough talent to continue getting opportunities it's only gonna last so long right um Mm -hmm. 
he does. I don't know what team that is though, because if we, if we yeah. sit back and look at that, the only real opportunity you would think would be Mercedes. If Lewis retires, maybe McLaren, if, if Ricardo does the same, I, I don't know where, you know, it doesn't look like Ferrari's, it looks like they've got two drivers that they could really lock in for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a really that's a really good question. The answer to the question is yes. He does. He should get out from the Red Bull system. I think he'll shine because he's driving like he doesn't care right now. He's like I'm. He seems yeah, so relaxed and loose. Yep. He's just like I'm going to drive. Um, I just don't know where he goes. I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think about where he ends up if he were were to move and who would be a good fit. Um, yeah, for his I'll, his driving. I'll twist it a little bit here on you, Vincenzo and Mark, because I, I think that the I guess part of the, the 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 problem with this is if we start talking about the the NFL, we know that Patrick Mahomes is going to be playing in Kansas City until a certain date, like his his contract, and then there's options or whatever, right? In Formula One, these guys sign a contract; it goes into a secret underground vault guarded by a bunch of Bond villains, and nobody knows the terms or the length. I mean, we have ideas, and we we can speculate about it and 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 that's the thing but then on the flip side these contracts apparently don't really hold any weight and they're almost torn up and thrown away and reworked at the at the drop of a hat i mean you made a really good point about uh, ferrari i mean charles leclerc is not going anywhere I kind of had some question marks about uh, Carlos Sainz when he signed there, but I mean, they were pretty quickly dispelled and I think that they got a really solid, really, really good uh, driver lineup there. I mean, um, one question mark, I mean, I I think Lando is obviously a lock at McLaren. I think he stays there as long as he wants to. Obviously, they're going to want to keep him there as long as he wants to stay there. Let's put it that way. Um, And as long as that team is uh, competitive and hopefully getting better, I mean, potentially I could see an opening there with Ricardo. I mean, I wouldn't say Danny Rick's getting long in the tooth, but I mean, he's advanced in age in his career to a certain extent, and he hasn't really been able to nail it with with a, with a team since he left uh, Red Bull, right? And mm-hmm. you, you kind of look around um, Red Bull. Yeah, that's not really going to be an option. Max is going to be right. their guy forever. Um, and Mercedes, like you say, it depends what happens with Lewis. I mean, they seem to have um, given George the, I guess, the, the unofficial nod to be Lewis's heir apparent, if you want to call him that. I mean, the young, hot prospect that really hasn't a chance to really shine just yet compared to a, like a lot of the other class of drivers that he came into Formula One with. I mean, he had that amazing weekend in uh, in Bahrain at the end of 2020 when mm-hmm. Lewis had to miss those couple of races with the, when, when he had COVID. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of like this circular discussion. I think about it, and I'm just like, 100% he would shine somewhere else to, to steal your words, Vincenzo. But then yep. it's just like the, the the whole thing is just like, where, where? And I, I just don't see anything for him. And it would be, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, that he's he's a talent that that maybe just hasn't had that, that right fit. And I, I don't know if we've seen the full potential or we've, we've, we've seen all that we can get. And Mark, you look like you've got something that uh, that you wanted to add to that. No, I don't really have a lot to add other than the fact that you're right. He's out of contract at the end of this year. And I just think 
from his perspective, he's probably not going to be, even if there was other offers on the table, and that's what makes Formula One so unique is that unlike major North American professional sports, you can sign a contract while you're under an existing contract. We saw that with uh, Fernando mm. Alonso and and uh, McLaren back in 06, 07 when he was still driving, still winning a championship with Renault for crying out loud. But I think <laughs> he needs to survey the landscape this year because for all yeah. we know, Alpha Tauri may be one of the most competitive cars on the grid. And if that's the case, why would he not want to stay there and compete with a team that he clearly is closely linked to? And obviously, I, I think, Vincenzo, you made a really great point. Like He was subjected to the worst of what, what Red Bull can due to a driver when he was probably not quite ready for that seat or may have been ready for the seat, but wasn't nurtured or given the opportunity and was yanked out of it so quickly and so abrasively. And then he went on to ultimately win a, win a race with Alpha Tauri, which is just mind blowing, but he may just yeah. be in the best seat available to be totally honest. Like, yep. Does Alpha Romeo offer an upgrade? Haas, Williams? I, I don't know. No. And then there's only two seats Pure at Mercedes. Moves, and yeah. that's assuming that they're going to continue to be super, super competitive. And we don't necessarily yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Aston Martin. I, for, I forgot about Aston Martin too. That yeah. I guess, you know, Vettel is only going to be around so long too. Yeah, and then I guess it depends too what happens with uh, with, with Lance. I mean, at, at some point you know, right. we've had this discussion before. It's like how long does uh, you know he carry the favor? There's I mean, no Lance can... slander on this show. We've talked about no, that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I wasn't going to go there. Anyways, why? Like uh, we were going to go uh, answer more of these questions, Mark. Uh, but before you do the, we do that. You wanted to give uh, our good friend Andy Amendola a shout yeah, out. Yeah, thank you for that. So, so absolutely. So. For those of you that have been listening to the show the last couple of weeks, we've been really excited about a project that Andy Amendola has been working on through the Red Racer book series. He is publishing in both English and Spanish a children's book about Formula One. It's basically the A's disease of the Grand Prix weekend. It's very, very awesome. cool. I think early on the perception was that, hey, this is a really a book that's designed and driven towards, no pun intended, kind of that two, three, four-year-old. But having looked at this, I can promise you this is a great book and it's a great pickup for children of all ages. It's beautifully illustrated. The Putting Kickstarter is alive now at race. I'm just double checking my, my terrible, terrible racing writing here, but redracerkickstart.com, redracerkickstart.com. I think he's about 50% of the way to make this a reality. If you do sign up, he's hoping to get the book shipped out in April and he is shipping globally. And again, we're only promoting because Andy's done a phenomenal job. It's a community-driven project. He's not signed up with a big book chain. He's not signed up with Amazon. He's not being funded. He's doing this himself. And I can promise you, if you've seen his work, that graphical illustrations, the content is phenomenal. So even if you yeah. don't have kids, if you have friends that do, or you have any inkling that you may have children on the way, pick this up because it's a really, really great addition to your home library. And it's also a really great gift to kids of your of your sister or your brother or your friends. It's a really, really cool project. And I just want to make sure we showed him some love and gave him a quick shout out here. So once again, redracerkickstart.com. Awesome. Redracerkickstarter.com. Quick starter. Thank you. Thank you. Quick, quick start. Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Redracerkickstarter.com. So Redracerkickstarter.com. Dot com. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. So if it's, it's if it's almost uh, one thirty in the morning in in Florida and uh, and Vincenzo's still mentally sharp, you've got no. I got it. <laughs> I got it. I've got Sorry, it. Andy. I just want to make sure Andy got his due. That's all. Exactly totally. right. Okay, let's let's go to the questions now. First one's from Troy Sneller. Question one: Ground effects used to be around, then disappeared, or now uh, back to improve racing. 
but why did they go away in the first place? Uh, we, 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 had we addressed the, this the, one last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. We I can mean, summarize this. Please. Yeah. I mean, just basically in general, I mean, they were around till the early 1980s and uh, they were banned um, after Gilles Villeneuve was killed at Zolder in 1982 in practice for the um, for the uh, for the Belgian Grand Prix. And uh, that's, you know, there, there, there was a lot going on, but that was the big uh, reason uh, for it. And then uh, question number two, with Alpine releasing two liveries, what are your thoughts uh, on teams going to two liveries similar to how most sports have home and away jerseys? Maybe each team has a light and a dark livery. I kind of like this. I mean, I, the the one thing I loved last year was how McLaren had that uh, that throwback livery at, at Monaco. No. And the drivers had like the they had those special like edition helmets and stuff like that. I I loved it. You know, I would love to see it. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting so worked up about this. I'm choking on my own words, but I mean, the thing <laughs> is, uh, they, they did such a great job with it, but I think that they're kind of a little bit rigid in the rules with how many times they can do these things. But I, I would love to see more of it. I mean, it, I obviously it wouldn't work for say uh, uh, Ferrari, for example. No, but I mean, don't red. No, Leave I mean it. exactly right. But I mean, for <laughs> even for Mercedes, it would because I mean they got the silver. But I mean that that all black look that they went with for the last couple of years yeah. that worked pretty good. Um, the Alpine with this sort of the, the the new pink thing would work. I mean, Aston Martin probably wouldn't. I mean, the British Racing Green is another classic. It's like the oh. scarlet red on the Ferrari. Is like why so would good. you why would you try and do anything with it? But I mean. The McLaren is as love. I love this uh, as much as I love the modern take with the papaya and everything like that. Just those those retro, those throwback things going back to like their you know like their foundational years in the early seventies. I mean that's that's just that's just beauty. It's just gorgeous. It was, I love it. It was one of our listeners last yeah. year that had recommended that Monaco should be reserved for a retro livery, livery weekend. That every yeah. year at Monaco, a team brings a retro livery, just like just like McLaren did last year. And Vincenzo, yeah. I'm eager to hear your thoughts on the livery piece because this is oh. kind of this is your passion project, livery sponsorship. Sure, branding. sure, sure. Yeah. But uh, I just want to go back to that ground effects piece. Daily nailed it, and, and just to kind of add on to that a little bit, ground effects are banned for safety reasons. They were. Mm-hmm. They were unfortunately far too effective at creating downforce, but the problem was in in that momentary instance where downforce would be lost. So for instance, in a high-speed corner, if these cars were forced into contact and they lost that suction, if, that, if they lost that seal with the ground that was being created by the tunnels, they would simply spin off the track at incredibly high speeds. And there was kind of a two-phase yeah. approach to banning this. The first was that they eliminated the side skirts, which... Uh, prevented the cars from sealing that air in. So it was slightly less effective at creating downforce, but ultimately it was still too much downforce. It was too much, too high risk. And we've talked in the past about the fact that the FIA really since 94, especially has dramatically reworked every track on the calendar to make them much safer. If you go back to 1981, 1982, the tracks were a horror show. Go back and look at some of these races. Like it's unimaginable that formula one race cars were allowed out at full speed, but Vincenzo, my friend, Back to the liveries. Yeah. I won't add anything on delivery. I want to hear what you've got to say. Um, I think I think this is another opportunity for sponsors to to have a little bit of say on the design of the car through the colors and through the livery itself. Um, I, I don't believe livery design goes against the cost cap. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, so you could see sponsor dollars go towards something like that. Um, we know that BWT is a pink, like they, 
they are very, very into their pink. Um, so how do you make them happy? You create a second livery that's like, boom, all, I actually kind of like the all pink one. Not going to lie. I do like I it. I prefer it. I um, prefer it. Yep. I, I, re- I, I do like it. But it, it does bring up the, like, like what you know you said daily, where you can see a home and away, or maybe you can see uh, more opportunities for different retro looks. Um, you know, if we start seeing more of this become kind of normal, I think the rules on it might will change. I would hope because it's it's kind of a it's a fun aspect of the sport. Fans also, think it, right? about it. Fans love it. The the merchandise you can sell if you're F one or if you're if if you're a team, think about the merchandise you can sell. It's it's a whole new set of of merchandise. Look at what Alfa Romeo did with their camo. Th- they turned that. There was a whole you know they had the camo merch. They had the cam- uh, the camo apparel that they were selling, and people yep. were going nuts for it. And then they they dropped this incredible livery, and then people go nuts for that, and they're going to buy that. So it. Like from that perspective, from a commerce perspective, I think it's a no brainer. The amount of fans that were eating up the golf livery last year mm-hmm. was like, I couldn't, I mean, I'm not even a McLaren fan, and I was like, this is awesome. I want yep. golf livery gear. Um, so, so from a commerce perspective, I think it's so smart to have allow the team to do anything. I mean, if they want to do a livery for every. I, I, this is, I know this is kind of far fetched, but like, if you want to do a, a special livery for every country you go to, um, why not? Right. Like, I, I, and again, I know that there's regulations that are in place so that they can't just change willy nilly like that, but I, I, that's going to have to change. That's going to change at some point. It has to because the opportunities are just too, it's just low hanging fruit. It's yeah. low hanging fruit. And the dollars are getting bigger, like we talked about earlier. Where are those dollars going to go? drivers fine other opportunities and i think that's an opportunity for for teams to just you know crush it yeah. um yeah and and and, and Alpine, Alpine did a great job with, with the the pink the all pink i think that i mean it looks sharp that's going to stand out on track it's going to stand out when you're watching a race bwt is going to get so much out of that um from the all pink and that's what like other you know the same thing other op- um, other sponsors can take advantage of other teams can take advantage of is providing that you know that's hey sponsor we can run an, a livery just for you you know for a weekend or whatever it might be so like i think i think we'll start to see more of those opportunities as f1 progresses as liberty kind of takes a firmer grip as generation dts gets sucked in deeper and deeper into the sport um, I think those are the opportunities that present themselves with, Look, especially with liveries. We only need to go back to the mid 1990s, right? In in the United States and Canada, where if you look at the big four major professional sports, every team had two jerseys. They had their road yeah. jersey and they had their ro- home jersey. And then all of a sudden they introduced this concept of an alternate jersey. Alternate, yeah. Yeah. Why did mm-hmm. they do that? It was because it created more merchandising opportunities. <laughs> Buy now, more stuff. Yeah, dude. Like you look at the yeah. NBA now, like how many jerseys do teams have? Four, five? And, they, and they're like soccer You've got teams like, now. They refresh them every yeah. year. And every I year. buy it and all got- because I am a consumer. And it's the exact same for <laughs> Formula One, right? Like I love that point yeah. about Alfa Romeo. Like what if they did like, hey guys, we're going to do a limited edition drop of camo merch 
people will gobble mm-hmm. that up. And to your point, yeah. you make such an interesting anal- kind of observation too. Like, what if you tie that unique drop into a sponsor? So, hey, you're not a primary sponsor. Yep. You're not the title sponsor. But hey, for this one race in your home country, because we yeah. see this with NASCAR, right? Like the NASCAR liveries yep. and sponsorships change every week depending on where they're yep. racing. So, hey, you're, <laughs> exactly. you're an American-based company. We're racing in the U.S. We're going to give you the livery this month. Like there's so many things we can do. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. The content, the content that can be created around it, um, is, is vast. I mean, look, look at what Red Bull does when they go to a country, they create all this content around them doing cool stuff there. They're driving the cars around They're you know, they're shooting all this crazy video and they make like little mini movies when they go places. I mean, those opportunities for sponsors are a completely additional aspect to sponsorship versus just you know, Grand Prix weekend. So like as teams and and they're doing a good job already, but as they start or continue uh, using social media, digital, any sort of digital media and seeing the opportunities there, like that's where these other, other liveries, I I think, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff happen with, you know, esports and all the e-teams like that. It's going to go like even that level, like all the teams have their own now. So like they can change liveries just for that. It, I mean, again, I think the opportunities are absolutely endless um, and we'll see a lot of fun stuff, which is going to make the consumer happy, which is going to make the fan, the new fan. I mean, the purists probably will hate it, but the new <laughs> fans will love it and, and, and they'll keep coming back for more because that's how you, and you mentioned soccer, Mark, um, you know, in, in Europe, I mean, they've got, like um venezia the soccer team in italy they've got some of the most beautiful kits i've ever seen they are like fashion drops i know and i know the ones you're talking about yeah they're gorgeous couldn't even they, they sold out instantly um but then when every you know throughout the year teams are always dropping oh here's another alternate we're gonna do because we're gonna wear it for whatever one game they sell out instantly I think the livery, the livery, you tie in the livery with the merch and limited drops. That's how you start to, that's how this whole thing starts to make a lot more sense and makes teams money, right? Like they actually can make money. Imagine a team like Williams, we just said, where, you know, where financial issues or even McLaren. Well, why are they doing, you know, why are they doing better now, McLaren? Well, they're taking advantage of a lot of things that are at their disposal. Zach, you know, Zach Brown deserves a lot of credit for that, but yeah. A lot of these teams can take advantage of these these opportunities and make real dollars. Let, let's just put it this way: before I uh, throw it to one more break here, um, before we start to turn down the lights and, and call it a night for another week, but this is just a, a statement, and I don't think either of you or anybody listening to this podcast is going to disagree. But Formula One, in general, really needs to step up its merch game, <laughs> and they need to step it up big time compared yes. to where everybody else is uh, is at. Anyways, uh, time mm-hmm. for a quick break. We'll do a couple more questions, and we'll hit on a couple more news stories. And we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the show. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton, and Vincenzo Landino here talking all about the latest Formula One news. Well, we're not talking about the latest news right now. We're doing uh, uh, questions. Next one is from Brian McDowell. And Brian's questions is, can you guys discuss some of your favorite F1 Twitter accounts? I've been, I'm looking beyond teams and drivers and more insiders. 
uh, bracket Adam Shefty, Ian Rappaport, for example, satire accounts and journalists slash pundits with comedic fodder. Well, obviously, comedic fodder, mm. you're going to get, well, well. Maybe not here, but you get something here. I'll let you guys figure out what it is from this podcast. Anyways, Mark, I think you got something. Yeah. yeah. So I right? think it's a fantastic question. And unfortunately, the reality is there is no Schefter. There is no Adrian Wojnarowski in the Formula One world. And unfortunately, a big part of that simply because so much of the media is consolidated within the broadcast mm. network that owns the broadcast yeah. rights to Formula One. So there aren't a lot of really great F1 insiders. But that said, I did put together a couple of folks that I highly, highly recommend you you follow. Um, from a technical side of the sport, Chain Bear's fantastic, Craig Scarborough's fantastic, yeah. and Sam Collins is fantastic. I highly recommend you follow all of them. Andrew Benson, uh, I think some people can take him. Some people don't really love him. He's a BBC reporter. He's probably the closest thing to an insider that we would get. He tends to break mm -hmm. stories that a lot of people wouldn't because he doesn't spend a lot of time in the paddock in in the hospitality trailers that like a lot of the credentialed media do, but he's probably worth a follow as well. I highly recommend friend of the show, Vincenzo Landino, who's joining us tonight. He does some really great stuff from a marketing, branding, kind of business side of the sport. And then if you are curious as to the voices from Sky Sports, there's a couple there. Uh, Rosanna Tennant's really good. Nico Rosberg is actually a fantastic follow. He provides some really insightful stuff. Not breaking news, not like backroom dealings, contract status stuff, but he provides some really good insights into the actual racing. Natalie Pinkman's great. Jenny Gao is great. But I think for me, those would probably be the, the big ones that I would recommend yeah. you follow. But like I said, there isn't really a Schefter, Wojnarowski equivalent in the world of Formula One just because the way the media is uh, consolidated. Vincenzo, am I missing anyone or is there somebody out there that you would recommend somebody follow if they're trying to put together their Twitter F1 list? Couple, couple folks that I like uh, a lot to add to your list. I like Jess McFadden. She's over at motorsport.net. Um, she's, I, I think she's great. She's funny. And she's on um, all anywhere you can find can find her. So you know Twitter, but Twitter specifically. Joe Soward, uh, Seward Soward is really great. Um, he's probably as close to an insider as I would. Nice. I I would think, mm -hmm. um, or close close to like a um, a Schefter as I could think of. He, I would immediately go and sign up for his his uh, free newsletter, his his notebook. Because he always drops insider knowledge. Um, he's at he's in the paddock. He's at the track side all the time. Um, his his tweets are okay, but it's pretty much tweeting about what he's writing anyway. So like, if you follow that, it, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, the, I mean, I, I and then of course your list is is there. So like, oh, we'll stick to that. It, it's funny because F one Twitter or people in F one Twitter are. Are, are like everyone's trying to like vie for this space um but they're like you said mark there's just not enough access essentially and the ones that have the access aren't aren't very free-flowing with exactly. what they have yeah um yeah. but there are some it's it, it is getting there it, it is getting i think it's getting better um trying there's there is one more and i i, I um, she's Mandy Curry. She's Mandy CTV, I think, on Twitter, and um, she Mandy's writes great. for uh, Mo. Yeah, she's Mandy's fantastic. Um, I like her. She's just 
you know, she's kind of like, I think she just uh, got newly FIA accredited last year. So um, I'm expecting a lot more kind of insider stuff from her, like at least, at least track side from her, but yeah, yeah, really good. But I would say Mandy, Jess and, um, and Joe for sure. Cool. I don't have anything to add to, to those ones uh, at all. Cool. Okay. Uh, let's final question from Toby Louisa Ernst. I've got uh, tickets to attend the Canadian Grand Prix, first in person GP and first time in Montreal. Any tips and or tricks you can pass my way for GP attendance in general? And this one in particular, I haven't been to Montreal to watch the race, but just in general, I mean, soak up as much of it as you can. If you can uh, get uh, access to the pits, like when they have the open uh, day there, do that. Um, by all means, if you're able to do a walk around, do that. Uh, take in most of the um, the support races if you can. I mean, most of the time when I go to races, I end up going to circuits at venues where there's plenty to, to watch and I mean, sometimes we get distracted away from the track, but I mean, Montreal is well known for being, uh, you know, wonderful place to go and visit lots of history, great nightlife, great restaurants and things like that. So, you know, you you are definitely not going to be, uh, you know, bored on your visit there. I mean, by all means, look up as much as you can of things to do in the city itself, away from the track, non-Formula One related, because you won't be disappointed. And I mean, that mm-hmm. we could probably spend like, you know, an entire show just talking about uh, all the things you could do in Montreal. I'm going to tell a quick story uh, about Montreal 2017. I was in Montreal f- um, during the GP and... Do not buy, do not buy merch from who the guy or whoever it is, the store selling in old in old Port Montreal. I paid 450 US dollars, 500 Canadian dollars for an Aston Martin rain jacket because I was getting poured on and I was there for work. <laughs> and we were doing we were on the streets doing some production work. So I, I didn't come prepared like an idiot. And I run into the store because I'm like, oh, cool. It's a motorsports Formula One store. And I saw a bunch of um, a bunch of jackets. There was like Ferrari jackets and, and all this stuff. So I, I was going to buy the Ferrari jacket. And the guy was like, he wanted over $1,000 for it. I said, oh my God. no, no way. I was like, what's the cheapest one you got? And he points me to the Aston Martin jacket. It was an Aston Martin racing jacket. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll take that. I th- I'm like, okay, it's cheaper. If you're telling me the, the Ferrari is a thousand, I'm like, this one is, is not that. So whatever, $450. <laughs> Do not. And it's funny because I told the story on my TikTok and somebody from Montreal responded and she said, was this the store on in Old Port? And I was like, yup. And she goes, I made the same mistake and I got charged like triple for a Renault hat. And she's like, I bought it anyway. But so don't buy that. And, and you, if you go or when you go, Try to get into Da Emma. It's a, an Italian restaurant. The I again, it was 2017 when I was there. But the woman, the proprietor, Emma, she's right off the boat Italian. Uh, incredible woman. She opens and closes the store. Hand makes all her own pasta. Incredible experience. Um, yeah, so you got to go there if you, if you get to Montreal. Me too. I'm getting the hungry only thing, just listening to that. The only thing I would add to all of that, <laughs> and that was way better insight from the two of you than I was expecting. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna relish Genzo's <laughs> stories moving forward. But the only other thing too is, and this is feedback I've heard from a lot of people in Montreal. 
The track gets absolutely crushingly busy. The gates open at 7 a.m. And the recommendation, especially mm-hmm. if you have general admission tickets, is to be there at 5.30 a.m., bring comfortable shoes, and bring earplugs. Even if you don't use them, it's nice yeah. to have them. And if you're taking children, definitely take earplugs for the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Okay. Oh, just uh, one final thing um, on the questions before we just hit on a couple of uh, news stories before we wrap it up, guys. So I know, Mark, you were you were joking with us just about how much value that you add to uh, the Twitter sphere. And uh, I think you tweeted something about your wife's macadamia nut cookies. But at Spooky Yarl wants to know, uh, do you care to share the recipe? Were, were they that good? I'm, I'm guessing that they were that damn good. So you know, it, if, uh, it was you a test. about it. I can tweet something really insightful about F1 and I get three likes. I can post (laughs) something about baking cookies and I get 50 likes. So true story. My wife was baking white chocolate macadamia nut cookies. I couldn't wait for them to come out of the oven. So I grabbed a spoon and I was eating them out of the oven. Now, full disclosure, (laughs) she didn't make the cookies. If you go to Costco, and this is a Costco hack. If you go to Costco and you go into the bakery department, you can buy boxes of all of their frozen baked goods. So you don't have to buy them pre-baked. You can buy them in a box frozen. So we buy this box. It's like 40 Canadian dollars. So five, ten dollars American, whatever it is. So like five dollars American. Yeah, Yeah, five (laughs) dollars American. (laughs) It has about 400 of the frozen cookies. So we just take like 10 out at a time, bake them. But I just wasn't patient. So Hot tip, and again, we're not we're not funded or sponsored by Costco, although that would be a great partnership to have, Vincenzo, if you want to work on that. Um, <laughs> Let's go Costco. Costco. I love Costco. All right, cool. All right, I'm getting. I'm going to go buy those this weekend. Then, you know, like, white chocolate macadamia. Nut. Talking about like uh, you know the, the the little hole in the wall, like you know, fantastic Italian uh, restaurant to like white chocolate <laughs> macadamia nut cookies. We got to turn this thing around and talk about uh, Formula One. Okay. Couple last stories. Uh, first one: uh, the race organizer in uh, Saudi Arabia, Jeddah, has outlined the the changes at Jeddah. I mean, you go and read the statement. It's turns two, three, fourteen, twenty one, cool. turn twenty seven, turns fourteen, sixteen, twenty two, and twenty four. So basically, the the entire track. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yep. will find out. And yeah, the thing that blew, which away, we kind of expected, though, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, we, totally. We did, yeah. but I'm just surprised when I look down, like in the statement, to all the different changes that they 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 made. I was expecting a few changes here and there i mean the change that, that they're making for this race which is coming up just in like three and a half weeks at the end of this month i mean they, they yeah. were it was, it was it's just amazing so i'm but glad it's, that it's they, good that they're responding to driver feedback right like oh, all yeah, of totally. this was driven yeah. by a driver saying there's too many blind corners so it's nice that they're addressing the, the mm-hmm. safety concerns of the drivers even if the race isn't going to be there long term and it's going to move closer <clears> to Riyadh and Kadia anyways it's nice that they're still investing in this track yeah yeah uh, now, uh, moving along to uh, Michael Andretti, and this is a story that just uh, won't go away. I mean, uh, he obviously tried to uh, buy Sauber slash Alfa Romeo uh, last summer. That didn't uh, go ahead. Uh, he's been talking about uh, starting up his own team starting in 2024. And Michael was saying that he's been really surprised by the amount of, uh, you know, what he's calling like negativity that uh, I guess, uh, you know, he's been receiving from the, I guess, do you want to call it the the, the F1 establishment? Um, anyways, Will Buxton at Will Buxton official, you know, the, uh, formula one, uh, journalist will had to say, quote, uh, speaking to a lot of folks in the IndyCar paddock this weekend, the Andretti F1 project is serious, very serious. They could pay the entry fee as chump change and in a non-budget capped year have funding to make the top three wince. No wonder the establishment are worried. End quote. Mm. <clears throat> 
Now, the other thing that is interesting too, Michael was saying apparently he's um, approached Gene Haas four or five, six times or something like that, uh, you know, about buying his team. Gene apparently is not going to sell. So, uh, it, you know, Michael seems like he's bound and determined to to get this uh, get this thing done one way or another. And it sounds like, you know, if he can't buy into an existing team, be it Alpha, be it, uh, be it Haas, he's going to do it himself. And yeah, yeah. Be it the... The, the, the establishment doesn't like it, guys. Anything to add to it? <laughs> I think the establishment doesn't like it because you have, it, um, it's a passionate, it's a passionate person rather than a Doralton or a VW, right? Yeah. It's not an or some big organization. This is a family of passionate drivers, uh, you know, like I, I, I think that that's, I don't want to say cause for concern, but that's I think Toto Wolf made a comment where he was like, um, every team that comes in needs to add value and like, yeah, they're a great name, but are they going to add value to the sport? Um, to me, that's Toto saying, damn, like if Andretti's coming to the sport, that completely turned like that kind of takes maybe the shine off of us a little bit. I, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. what he's worried about, but maybe, right. Um, I mean, it could, I, you know, it, it, it could, I have, I, I don't, I don't know, does it, but I think there's, there's passion there. Um, I, I heard on NB, it was, there's an NBC during the, uh, the IndyCar broadcast, they had made a comment about, um, or they had inter- they had talked to and Michael and, uh, they want to do the whole bit. They want to go F1, F2, F3. I mean, they want like a proper Andretti, you know, formula cars, like, and they're ready to do it. So that's, I mean, we need it. I think we'd need a proper American team anyway. Mm-hmm. So it'd be foolish. It'd be foolish for the teams not to want to bring them in. Um, but yeah, I think anything, anything, when you get negativity, you know, you're doing something right. You know, you're poking the right, you know, you're going after kind of the right area. So he'll, I hope, get in and uh, shake things up a little bit for the for the big guys. I, I think that uh, just to sort of add on to what Will, Will Buxton was saying, that uh, no wonder the establishment is worried when you have somebody is committed, somebody who has the funding, mm-hmm. and obviously like Vincenzo, mm-hmm. you say, has the passion uh, to do it, yep. that with this sort of unprecedented interest and desire to get involved in Formula One, you know, Michael might just be the first of uh, many people that want to come and maybe, you know, the... You know, the to quote unquote, the establishment doesn't like it because they're they're going to you know feel threatened. Being, I mean, Toto kind of threw a little bit of water on it because Michael said, "Well, we got two hundred mil up front; we can throw another hundred million on top of it." And Toto's kind of like, "Yeah, but you really need a billion if you know if you want to come and be serious right. about it and stuff like that." And kind of yeah. uh, tried to to downplay what it was, but who knows? which is interesting, yeah. he he threw out that that number, which is interesting that Toto threw out the right? billion number. Um, I know Mark. Hamilton, we've gone back and forth with valuation of teams. Uh, so that's that's an interesting number that Toto threw out there. But I I, I don't know. A billion dollars seems like a lot. You obviously need to have a lot of funds, but a billion seems like an interesting number. 
you know, it, it kind of like when he threw that number out, it kind of like almost rem- reminded me of some of like the the discussions that you hear about like NFL teams. It's like, you know, if you want to get an mm-hmm. NFL team in your city, you're going to need a billion up front just to build a stadium and all the facilities and all that stuff. And I thought yeah. when Toto said that kind of as a rebuttal to the the amounts that Michael said that they were they, that they have up front that they can like throw down onto the pile right yep. now. I thought that was a very specific amount yeah. dollar figure to throw out there. So it was just a, kind of an interesting uh, reaction. I but. won't rant as much as I usually do on this topic, but <laughs> but there was a there was a story that broke this week because Bill Simmons came on his podcast and said, "Hey, the NBA is close to uh, expanding to Seattle and to Las Vegas," and the the stories popped up all over the press this week. But the speculation is that those two teams would cost an estimated three point five to four billion dollars and i guess the economics of the nba are very different than formula one i just i can't believe we won't live in a world where the valuation of a formula one team can be a billion dollars especially if teams like red bull can pull in a hundred million dollars a year from a single sponsor like that team is raking in a hundred million dollars in cash before they put a car on the track and that excludes constructors championship prize money like i think there's a world and toto as well i think he sees that there's some personal element to this as well right you got to remember he owns a third of that mercedes team right if that team generates revenue he's earning a third of whatever the operating income is at the end of the season and if an 11th team dilutes the value of the prize money he's a Mm -hmm. net he's a net uh he he experiences that at a personal level so I just think that F1 needs to fix the Haas situation before they allow another team on the grid. Fix that Haas situation. You know what? Change out the ownership. Make sure that they invest in it, whatever it's going to take. But that team is a detriment, a detractor to the sport in its current state. And before I would allow anyone else on the grid, I'd force that. I'd force the hand of that team, to be totally honest. And ideally, in my world, I think in the perfect world that that Andretti buys that team and he invests in it. They've already got a yeah. U.S. base. I think that's the right thing to do for the sport. Obviously, they can't force Gene Haas to sell. This isn't a Donald Sterling NBA situation with uh, <laughs> with uh, with the NBA in 2014. But I think that's what they got to do first: is fix that Haas situation. Yeah. Then you can start looking at an 11th and 12th team. Yeah, awesome. Okay, guys, I think that's a great place uh, to leave it uh, for another week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for for uh, listening uh, this week. Vincenzo, awesome to have you on board tonight. Look, thanks for having to this, me uh, again. Very, very soon, which uh, I know we're going sure. to. Uh, Vincenzo, before you go, remind uh, everybody where they can find you and what you got going on. At Vincenzo Landino on Twitter is the best spot to find me, and uh, you'll you'll see everywhere else and every other thing I'm involved with. Um, but yeah, let's keep it simple. At Vincenzo Landino, and we are at Scootery F1 Pod, and also email at f one Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. On behalf of myself, Mr. Hamilton, and Mr. Vincenzo Landino, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you guys again very very soon. Bye for now. <laughs>